Welcome to the Celebration Community Church Podcast, where we exist to meet God, grow in Him, and serve through Him. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Celebration Community Church Podcast. My name is Nathan Perdue, and I wanted to quickly just jump in with a note here that will kind of clarify what my expectations, what my goals are going forward for the podcast. You know, we've had a lot of new events being scheduled, and we just came off of our Connection Weekend as an entire church, and that was fantastic to see people wanting to get plugged in. You know, one of the things that the increase of return to social activities has done is it has made keeping up with podcast planning and stuff like that difficult and rather inconsistent. So my plan moving forward is to release a an episode bi-weekly. So every other week we'll have a new episode and then perhaps we'll be able to supplement um, the the off weeks. I'm not quite sure. Uh, the main thing that I want to do is I just want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for dealing with the inconsistency, and we hope that this is a blessing to you. We hope that this conversation with Matthias is a blessing to you, and we love you. Grace and peace. seated across from me, I have our newest staff member. Why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. My name is Matthias Carter. I'm um, not necessarily new to um, C3. I've been attending C3 for, oh gosh, since uh, Seven fall years, of eight years, 13. There we so. go. We were just talking about that off screen. So mom, this is Matthias. <laughs> I was, I said our <laughs> listeners. So there you go. Um, my, well, and my mom knows who I am too, hopefully. And uh, <laughs> we'll see who, how much she remembers. She'll probably correct me with something I say wrong anyway. Right. But um, yeah, so I've been helping her out, um, at least attending C3 for, um, for however many years that is and have, I've uh, been helping out in various areas, mostly our college ministry here, um, encounter. And then, um, pretty soon after joining, I also, uh, jumped in with the tech team and I've been serving on there ever since. And just recently, uh, took a position full time to run our tech team and all the technical, um, aspects of the church. So, yeah. so listeners or, or attendees would probably recognize you if they saw you on a weekend, but would not necessarily make the connection into saying like, oh, this is the newest staff member. So yeah. one thing that, or, you know, just like me, I would imagine that a whole bunch of people know who I am, but don't really know anything about me other than like, he's the one who I have to listen to for 30 minutes with right. a microphone before right. someone preaches. So I have devised a couple of rapid fire 
um, get to know you okay. questions for you. And this is just off the, off the top of your head. No thinking required. Oh, okay. That's hard so to ask for me. First thing I have 15 seconds on the clock, name as many staff members as you can go. Oh my, uh, yourself, Nathan, Kale, uh, Derek, Brant, um, Dylan, um, Damien, uh, Garrett, Annika, um, Melissa, and Tessa. Time. Oh. Not bad. Oh, Only missed bad Renee, I think, right? Yes. Sorry, Renee, <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> and then all the Colby staff, oh, of course. Oh, yes. I'm so, sorry. Yes, yes, that is true. Um, favorite thing to do when not at church? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I basically do the stuff I do here for fun at home. (laughs) (laughs) I am either tinkering with something technology wise or, um, figuring out something to do here technology wise. Favorite place you've ever lived? (laughs) Oh, Colorado for sure. Matthias and I, this is kind of a funny story. We're both from like Southern Denver suburb area and we probably grew up 20 minutes away from each other possibly and probably knew some of the same people or at least some of the same people competed against each other in sports or whatever and here and here we are podcasting amazing yeah never would have guessed yeah (laughs) um favorite restaurant in Hayes. oh gosh that one's, I'm going to have to say the taco truck. The taco. Okay. So I'm taco Riendo, yes. the one on 12th and Vine. Yes. Amazing. Margaret and I really like that. And JW does. Damien really was the one who put us on that. So props out to Damien. Last question. Favorite translation of the Bible? ESV. Why? Um, I think it is a pretty... It's talks how I think. I think a lot yeah. of the times it's very... It's pretty methodical and... Um, logical is not maybe as quite as like maybe NASB or CSB, but um, it works pretty well. There's a lot of popular um, works that go along with that, the study Bible and things like that, that I appreciate as well. So my first study Bible was an ESV. So I, you're, you're speaking my language here. (laughs) I grew up around the NIV and NLT a lot. um, And it was just something different that I felt I, uh, that I, just clicked with pretty often and uh, just kind of stuck with. As a quick aside, you know, I think that this is is kind of an interesting question to ask because, you know, there are there are so many translations of the Bible, and I I would assume that you don't know Greek, correct, or, you or know, Aramaic, Aramaic or anything or Hebrew, like that. Yeah. And it's funny to me to to find like translations that we prefer. And I think that some of that comes from the outside influence of people that we respect, which is a totally normal thing to do. Um, But then some of it has to do with like the experience of being in a place that uses like an NIV and NLT. And Mm -hmm. we use, we use the NIV for all of our references that we use on Sundays. And it's a great translation of the Bible. I don't have any issues with the, the translation notes sure. that I've read in the yeah. front of a Bible. But I always think it's funny, you know, Have has that trans, translation preference changed over time for you? Were you first like, oh, I like the NIV and then moved somewhere else? Or did you kind of just settle on like, okay, the ESV is kind uh, well, of my Like thing. I said, I just, I mean, I grew up around the NLT and NIV a lot. Um, 
And then just in LTE kind of, being New Living Translation, yes. and then the New International version yes. for NIV. Um, and then um, really just once I got here to to college, um, it's just kind of I ended up finding it and settling on it, and really haven't. It's not like I've sat and done hours upon hours of research about which I preferred. It was just something I settled on and I've, I've enjoyed it. And so I've just kind of stuck there. Yeah. And you know, I, th I think that outside influence of, of scholars that you enjoy and that you prefer yeah, is obviously going to be a part of it. And that's the reason that I have an NSRV or excuse me, NRSV it, because the people that I read that I listen to are the, the ones who are using this or, right. or recommending a Bible like this. So of course I'm going to do that just as like some something to be okay like you can read the NIV and be a really faithful person Absolutely. you can read the NLT and be a really faithful person and speaking of being a faithful person we're uh, kind of segueing into our topic today in our what i believe series which is a, a really easy one as the newest staff member i've given you the simplest task oh, sure. for this uh, we're going to talk about salvation um Super simple. So, yeah, contain your enthusiasm, <laughs> obviously. And I think we've made a, a caveat for every app episode, but I feel like we need to do it again. We're not sitting here as experts. We're not sitting here at, after having written the book on what the theology of salvation is. We're a couple of staff members who have found real conviction contained within the scriptures and trying to be faithful and helpful to our community, we're trying to make a resource for people to be able to see what kind of goes into a, a statement of faith, where it comes from, how we might practically apply this to actually being a Christian, because there's certainly a difference between hearing the Bible and living out what the the character of Jesus would imply that we need to do, right? So first, when we're when we're talking about salvation, the first thing that I want to do is I want to read the sentence that's contained on our website. That's where we have our statement of faith. That's kind of where all of the different matters that we're discussing come from. So here it is. Salvation is God's free gift to us, but we must accept it. We can never make up for our sin by self-improvement or good works. Only by trusting in Jesus can anyone be saved from sin's penalty. When we turn from our self-ruled life and turn to Jesus in faith, we are saved. Salvation is maintained by the grace and power of God, not by the self-effort of the Christian. So there's enough in information in that to have a lifetime of study, and we're going to distill it down to hopefully 30 to 45 minutes. So <laughs> yeah. Good again, luck to us. emphasizing the, the fact that this is, this is not like all you need to do with this, but you might end up on, on a very different like place in, in your, your discussion with salvation in your community and through the example of the scriptures. But what we want to do is give you a helpful place to start. And here's where I just want to, to start. Salvation is the act of being saved right? What, what is it that a human is being saved from? I think the simplest one word answer is sin. Right. Um, I, th I think obviously we can get way more complicated than that, but I think really the, what does us the most good is just to recognize that um, sin is what separates us from God. And that is at its core, the, 
only thing really we need to be saved from. Right. And so I think that we've used the word sin so many times that it's kind of lost a meaningful understanding. Sure, absolutely. We can we can say anything that we don't like or that we would imagine that God doesn't like being sinful. But is there a functional definition of sin that you start at when you when you talk about sin? Um I really th- I think the easiest um, a place to start really is with really a good understanding of the overall law right. of, of the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, and um, is essentially the, the easiest way to go through those. Um, and it's us falling short of those standards is what separates us from, from God. God obviously mm-hmm. being perfect cannot be in association with sin, and therefore... Um, that sin separates us. Yeah. So contained in your definition are some things that I I find really interesting. You kind of mentioned sin as imperfection and God being perfect, not being able to be in the Mm -hmm. presence of sin. And uh, we talked last, our last episode was about human beings and kind of covered Genesis 3 and the fall where there was an intentioned way for humans to go and humans decide to make out rules of good and evil for themselves and for the purpose of like taking that capacity to choose to good and evil on themselves, which is what causes sin to enter the world. Perhaps it's a sinful act in and of itself, right? But sin could be described as imperfection in a, a selfish nature, Maybe whenever we are we act in a way that's contrary to the intention or the nature of God, sure. would that be a functional definition of sin? Yeah, I think so, and, and it it's it really comes down to, I I think a lot of times it comes down to us thinking we know better than God, that we know better than the way He designed, the way He created um, us to be. Right. No, that's that's a really powerful thing, and and certainly, I think is uh, an easy mindset to to come across. So we've kind of established that uh, the the whole topic of salvation is is this idea of being saved from our sin. How how are we saved? Who is the active person in saving us? Are we able to do that for ourselves? Or is there something else that's that's going on? Sure, here? and I think I think a lot of the Old Testament paints that picture for us, right? Um, mm-hmm. And in that, you know, the the law had to be instituted the in order to cleanse us of our sins. Um, there had to be the sacrificial system. Right. The priest had to advocate for us and sacrifice um, animals or whatever it may be. You go earlier in Genesis, and it was uh, you know giving the first fruits on the altar and and things like that. Um, and so you see that um, repeatedly we have to advocate for our um, salvation and our, right. our forgiveness of our sins, right? And God must do that forgiving. Um, and I think that's made clear throughout the Old Testament. And then, of course, you see through the New Testament, and I especially appreciate Hebrews in that in that context to show the um, superiority is Christ as our priest, right. and uh, that his salvation, his saving work is what 
brings us back into relationship with God. Right. So just as so I'm I'm sitting here just trying to imagine the the questions of someone who has never really interacted of with course, the yeah. text in in a super deep way. And when when you say things about the law and the sacrificial system, are these things that if you don't follow the law, then that sacrifice must be made. And then what happens after that sacrifice is made? Are you, are you unable to break that law ever again? Or is it like, okay, you're good for now? How does, how does that work? Sure. I guess in context with the Old Testament, um, it was essentially we sinned as people that, and, and in the context of the Old Testament, it was painting the picture of, of Israel, God's people, right? Um, we, we see they commit sin, and then God demands payment for that sin, right. demands reconciliation. Right. And so those payments, the sacrifices, were then made so that they could be in right standing with God. And then every time they sinned again, <laughs> that sin was repeated, or, yeah. or they found a new sin they liked that day, right. whatever it may be, right. those, those payments need to be made again and repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. The priest's work was, was never done. He had full-time employment, yeah. for sure. <laughs> I think that you know, what I'm getting at here is, is this idea of consecration, right? Sure. Israel is supposed to be set apart for the purposes of God. God says that Abraham's descendants is, are going to be a nation of priests to the rest of the world. Now, they have to act in the same nature as priests who are set apart for God are right. when they commit sin, when they go against God's plans or God's nature, they must find some way to be consecrated again, yes. right? To be set apart again. And the ceremonial act of sacrifice is the, is the means by which God chooses to welcome them back into that consecrated community. Absolutely. Now Jesus kind of throws a wrench in that, right? So there's there's no longer the ethnic component of that. How does the sacrificial system kind of change when Jesus comes about? Sure, absolutely. Um the easiest way to to I guess describe that is um Jesus in so many places, and one of my favorite places that he shows that he describes this is in um, uh, Luke 24, and you see that Jesus rises again. He, he displays himself to the disciples, and one of my favorite um, portions of that is when he reveals himself on the road to Emmaus. Yes, and with two uh, some of his disciples, not well, not some of the twelve, but some of those that were with them, and. They are just downcast and just in desperate need of uh, um, of help because they're just they are, they don't they they've just saw the man that they followed for the last three years um, murdered on the cross and he describes they they don't recognize him he shows up to them on the road and he does they don't recognize him and all of a sudden then he just lays out here are the ways that I have fulfilled the Old Testament. So there's right. 
multiple places in the Old Testament through prophets and through the Psalms and things like that, that um, it, it's revealed that the Messiah would come and fulfill the law. Now, there was some interpretation at that time that was, of course, very much motivated by politics and right. ethnic struggles with Rome and things like that. Mm-hmm. They interpreted the Messiah would come and overthrow the Rome's rule upon them. Right, to restore to the... To restore the ethnic of... and and um, theocratic rule of, of, right. <laughs> of Israel, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. And Jesus has to reveal to them and open their minds to the fact that he was the fulfillment of those prophecies. Right. He was actually the Messiah. And so, but that Messiah's trajectory was so much larger than just it was some a sort way of bigger picture. Thing. They mm-hmm. didn't realize that he was coming to be the perfect sacrifice, right? right. Living a perfect life, coming in the form of a man, one hundred percent God, one hundred percent man, here on earth, and then dying the innocent death that he did because he right. lived a perfect life, a sinless life, as we've. Um, come to, to understand that then he becomes the perfect sacrifice. He no longer, there, you know, we no longer have to make those sacrifices in order to be in right standing with God because he was that perfect sacrifice. Right. That atonement was done, um, to throw out another yeah. churchy word, right. um, was occur- occurred because of what Christ did. Right. Um, and so he reveals to that to them, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, like, you what what you've been telling us the last three years and showing us the last three years actually makes sense, um, and it wasn't until that time that they they put it all together. And he later does that with the disciples as well. The rest of the disciples, he has to literally just explain it to them, um, which <laughs> yes. which to us reading goes well. Come on, guys, like you should figure this right. out. But I think that also shows the power of 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 the Holy Spirit at work in that in us and um, yeah. and how God chose to to redeem us. Um, in salvation through Christ. From from our childhood, we, you know, you and I both have kind of grown up in the church, yeah. church, church mm-hmm. adjacent, and you have this understanding of the story, but really trying to parse through the way that this would have developed in real time, you know, Absolutely. as I look at it now, I can't help but feel the sympathy for the disciples trying to figure this thing out. They've been told their entire lives that the Messiah is going to be some sort of human ruler sent by God to help reestablish the nation of Israel as a as a power on what they thought to be the global stage, right? Then Jesus comes and calls them to a life that's very, very different and is executed by the state then right after that. Right. And then Jesus comes back in three days and is like telling them about the kingdom of God. And they're just like, what is going on? So as, as you know, they parse through this stuff and kind of try to explain what Jesus actually did. I, I can't help but feel like sympathetic knowing that like I'm kind of in the same place now. Absolutely. Trying to figure out how the work of Jesus is something that is to that is to mean something for me. Like in a really huge sense, it's supposed to infect every portion of my being, Absolutely. right? To, to be able to live as Jesus intends for me to live because he was 
willing to go so far to give up his life, but then to show victory over death. I think when when we talk about the active agent in salvation, it sounds it sounds to me like God had a plan all along. So it sounds like God is the one who is doing the saving. Is that? I mean, is that I, right? I, is that kind of I mean, I think you can you can look back all the way in Genesis and see the plan right. foreshadowed. And right. so I think it's it is. Um, easy to just be able to say, well, clearly, I think it's pretty logical to go, um, even I think in our simple minds, I guess, as you would say, um, we, you don't need to be incredibly gifted to go, hey, I th- clearly God is setting all this in motion, right. has a plan from the beginning, knew, right. and, and had a plan in store. He didn't just um, walk into the garden one day and was like, oh my gosh, I did not think this was going to happen. Right. Um, Dad, God, yeah. God didn't have, you know, the oh no or aha moment. He knew he's all-knowing <laughs> and knew he's, he's never had that. And that's, I think, something that's so hard for us to grasp. It's hard for me to grasp now at times of God never went, oh, this works really well. That's great. I should do that more often. Like, he's, he, he is who he is today, <laughs> right. yesterday, today, and forever. And, and um, so it's easy to forget that and easy... Um, but at the same time, I think it's so life-giving to know that God is right. um, God's got to figure it figured out, and that's okay. Right. You know, there are, there are some textual examples of like the the letter to the Ephesians, where Paul is talking about thanks be to God who, in His foreknowledge, predestined us for adoption as sons into the kingdom, without going into the theological weeds, sure. right? To to say that that kind of communicates that God has had a plan that he has intended for the motion of history and humanity to kind of move in this way and interjected himself at the right moment but you know we're we're trying to narrow in i <laughs> this is this is the the hard thing about talking theology is it it yeah. just intersects with so many other things and to attempt to explain one oftentimes comes at the the neglect of another thing because yeah, we could absolutely. we could spend this whole time talking about God's character and God's plan and and the foreknowledge of God's plan we could start talking about the sometimes what it feels like the the scriptures being ambiguous concerning like well does God know or are there times that God changes his mind and like oh that just gets so heavy Mm-hmm. But it's it's worth it, right? So let's let's maybe let's maybe get back on track. That's a, more <laughs> of a reminder for me. Um, in our statement of faith, we say that one puts their trust in Jesus. How does how does this work? How how does one put their trust in in Jesus? Um, I think if you have it perfectly figured out, you should tell me because I I, I yes. think we we make that such a I'm simple. Here, yeah. um, statement and topic. Um, and gosh, that's hard. And I think, and I think that's, um, a really good example of why Jesus said the one who comes after me is, is it's better for me to go. Right. Um, referencing the Holy Spirit, referencing the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And, um, because I think we so, it's so easy to forget that you know, even when we're not emotionally feeling the spirit or um, moving or um, feel like we can quote unquote 
feel God with us, um, that we rely on him, the Holy Spirit, for so much, including right. trusting in the Spirit, walking in faith, yeah. um, consecrating ourselves, yeah. sanctifying ourselves, um, making us more like Christ every day. That doesn't happen without the work of the Holy Spirit. Right. And so how do you trust in Jesus? Man, I you just I, I think it comes through faith, um, that faith being a gift from God. Right. Now we can exercise that faith. I think we we have to um, operate in that faith um, often in order to just, it's like, you know, if you aren't using the muscles you have in your body, you're, you, they wither away. And I think, um, I think it's important for us to remember to, to exercise that. So that trusting in Jesus um, obviously comes through um, practicing that and yeah. understanding, reading the scriptures, memorizing scriptures that, that point to that um, and working on those things, praying for those things um, and trying our best to walk with the spirit every day. It's it's so like my childhood to slap an easy answer on oh, this. Well, absolutely. there's the specific prayer that you pray, and then things are guaranteed forever. And as I've matured, I'm certainly not going to claim that I'm old or I'm mature or anything like that. Sure. But as I've matured, it seems more to me like trust is a, a functional thing that's done every day. And mm. thank goodness that we have the Spirit, as you were yes. saying, interceding for us, advocating, compelling us to act in a manner that is more Christ-like. Because, you know, I, I resonate with that idea that Jesus says, like, you'll know a tree by its fruit, right? Yeah. And it is very easy for me to give lip service to saying, I trust in Jesus without ever doing anything about that. Absolutely. So, you know, while I'm not going to sit here and say that I have the capacity to judge other people's fruit, right? The, the thing that for a question like that is it's one that is inwardly focused. How do I trust in Jesus? Yeah. And, you know, I think that the way that I do that functionally is like behaving like the words that he say that he says are true and inform the way that I should live. I think Absolutely. that that's kind of the way. There's not this like specific thing to say, Jesus, I trust in you. Boom. Like everything is is good, but but I think that that's more of a functional understanding of like how might I behave in a way yeah. as if Jesus is the object of trust. Absolutely. Well, and I think Proverbs, I really appreciate Proverbs 3, um, 5 through 6 in this context, um, just because, and that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your make straight your paths. And yeah. and while that's, um, I think it has to be, taking this uh, verse in, to heart has to be included with um, following the instruction of Jesus and all the other things that make uh, Christianity what it is, but I think I think what's so important here is is that second part of, of of five that's and do not lean on your own understanding. So many times we we think we have it figured out, and the tighter we hold on to those things, the easier it is for us to just completely miss the mark. I think, um, and and sure, I think there are stuff. There's there's things that we can know. 
I don't think, you know, that there's just no way we can know anything about God for sure. Right. There are definitely right. things that we can, but there's so many things that take faith and we, we cannot wrap our brain around. Yeah. I mean, if you've ever sat and just thought about what experiencing eternity is going to be like, yeah. um, that breaks my brain every time I sit and think yeah. about it for more than about 10 seconds as my, just the smoke starts rolling. Yeah. Um, so I think it's so it's that's simply put, just trust it with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, acknowledge him in everything that you do and everything that happens to you. Um, and 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 he will do the work. Right. I think in in past episodes, we've talked about the idea of salvation not being like a tra- a transactional kind of thing, but a transformational kind of thing. Sure. So the idea of of being cleansed from sin, the idea that, that Jesus is not here to just bring about like ritual holiness, but it's actual real holiness in front of God by Absolutely. taking on his likeness should then impact the way that I live Absolutely. because I'm no longer enslaved, right? You know, Ephesians 2 would, would yes. like to tell us that we're dead in our sin, enslaved to the passions of the world and everything that beckoned in that. And then 2-4, but God being rich in mercy made us alive in Christ, right? So my life, while I can't say that my physical being that started on August 27th, 1993 has passed away, there's something outside of me metaphysically happening that has been killed with Christ and now it's not I who live but the but like the Holy Spirit kind of living in me in some way that I can't understand absolutely right? you, I think you're you're totally right to to say that we can understand some things but to understand them in a depth that we can figure out and feel comfortable with is probably not going to happen. You know, <laughs> I, I resonate with that because the the irony of this series is I felt less comfortable going over like a what we believe and trying to explain these kind of things than any other time that I have yeah. in my faith because I'm a child of the Enlightenment. I'm a person who is like, okay, things are objective and they're epistemologically possible in their entirety and as i get closer and closer to that i'm just like it's so much more complicated and i i don't even have the like biological brain power to to wrap myself around a concept like eternity or infinity right i i just can't even do it so god in his all-knowingness decides to give us wisdom like you know you can't lean on your understanding. Yeah, absolutely. In, you know, you can be intelligent and you can pursue trying to figure out God, but at some point, you have to realize that it's just not possible to 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 wrap your mind around the unknowable. Yeah, and what com- <laughs> so. and what comfort is that too? That we can't figure it all out. Mm-hmm. When we have to remind, I have to remind myself of that all the time. Yeah. That. Hey, you know, if I could, if I could figure God out, I'm worshiping the wrong thing. Right. Exactly. The wrong yeah. person. And there's solace and in that. Yeah. Absolutely. To say that he, the things of God that are revealed are ones of love and care. Yes. And of calling you to a life where you love and care and stand for justice and equity. And I, I you know, that's that's powerful. That those are the aspects of God that we can figure out. And you know, they're equally there are the 
the characteristics of God's wrath and, and yeah. things. And and I I can't sit here in confidence and be like, I can figure God out. I can figure out how this salvation thing works. But it can inform the way that I treat other people. Absolutely. Uh, because it seems really powerful that God would try to treat people in a way that would offer them the same life that he's given me as well, right? You know, John 3, 16, the most ubiquitous verse in the world. God so loved the world. I mean, I can't think of a person that that is an exception to that, that he kind of appears in that way. Now, are there people who are not going to accept an invitation. Well, I, I, I don't want to get too uh, <laughs> into God's foreknowledge, right? But, um, but like, are there going to be people, regardless of how that works, that right. do not accept that invitation? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, abs- absolutely. So I think that we've, we've kind of talked about what salvation might practically mean for us in trusting Jesus every single day and realizing that the the way that we know things is going to fall short at some point. So we ask for today our daily bread. Um, I read that in a book somewhere. It seemed like really good information. What about this? This is a common question that I've wrestled with that I've been asked before and said, your guess is as good as mine. If you have salvation... Is there a way to lose that salvation? Is there a way to be taken out of that security? Um, I would posit that there is not. Okay. Um, I, I, <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. I know that there are disagreements about that. I've, yeah. I've, and that's okay. Um, I would posit that there is not because um, of several... Um, Verses throughout scripture, um, you know, and, and there's there's little side conversations with that with apostasy and things like that. Sure. Um, but I but I think there's there's comfort in the way that um, Jesus talks about that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like in John ten uh, twenty seven through twenty eight, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish yeah. and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Um, that's comforting, I right. think. Um, and I think it's hard to um, not be uh, um, comforted by that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Hebrews talks about it. Uh, Matthew talks about it, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think, you know, there's comfort in looking at even at Peter's story. He denied right. Christ three times, yet look at the restoration that happened, look at how he um, continued to change the world, quite frankly, in many ways um, for the name of Christ. Right. I mean, he wouldn't even allow himself to be... He goes from denying Christ to not even letting himself be murdered in the same fashion. Right. um, Out of reverence. Mm -hmm. Because he doesn't deserve the same treatment that even Christ had. Yeah. I want to let you off the hook a little bit in that. <laughs> I know that that is an impossible question yeah. to to not like step on some toes with sure. thinkers. Yeah. What what I heard from you is that there are really faithful people that end up on a as a 
yes, someone can lose their salvation if they choose to deny like God. And you kind of end up toward that no kind of thing. Mm, Yeah. I don't want to go too, too far into like, okay, how would one who was a practicing Christian and decided not to anymore, how would they have never been saved in the first place? I think that that's one of those things that is like an easy argument to have, It is, is. (laughs) but it doesn't solve the problem of, of the fact that like this doesn't really make sense. And we're trying to, you know, wrap our minds around something that only something more transcendent than we yeah, are could yeah. really figure that out. But, you know, specifically that you, you kind of say, you know, it, when a person has been saved and, and I, you know, I would fall here as well. I, I just mentioned sure. that I think that salvation is transformational. If one doesn't conform their lives in a specific way, are they really like experiencing that regeneration sure. and that new life in Christ? I, I don't have that yeah. figured out, right? Yeah. If you ask me in two years, my answer could be sure, completely absolutely. different. But the way that I've interacted with the scriptures right now, it just really seems as if there is some sort of visible change in the life of someone who is saved, who is redeemed, who absolutely. is seated with Christ. So... Well, I, I think I, it for me, a struggle is, is Matthew 7, mm-hmm. 21 through 23, right? Um, yeah. That's hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, or Jesus essentially just says, there, there will be those that call on my name at the end, and I right. will say I never knew them. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, there, there's there's struggles that we have to have there. And and I right. think those are things that we can figure out, but I, but I also um, would say that those are secondary and tertiary issues that it's not a salvation issue in and of itself. Um, there are obviously there's, there's ramifications to that, but, but I think it's not something that we have to go, Oh, I disagree on that. We can't be fellowshipping together. Exactly. And Uh, I think that that's a, a important thing that I almost want to kind of end on. And this is, this was the whole ethos of the entire idea of doing a, what we believe. Absolutely. There are so many different faith traditions who I think have chosen to divide for reasons that are not as important. Mm, And what we want to do is we want to talk about the distinctives that make celebration celebration while still saying to people there is something at work in which we are unified with people who end up on different ends of the spectrum here are the convictions that we have this is what you can expect to be taught at this church but also we want to say that there are people who have been faithful who have really tried to take the the Bible and and to read it in a way that is that is true to the contextual understanding of the authors and try to bring that into twenty uh, first century like America, right? And yeah. w- what an arduous task that is. So to to be able to one disagree charitably, but also understand that there are things that unify us that we we should celebrate between different traditions while staying true to our convictions. Absolutely. It's, we can't shy away from the power of, of what Christ did. Um, and that should be, um, you know, the 
God that saves us should be more central to how we interact with one another more than, you know, I think we should decide whether or not it's a synergistic or monergistic relationship. Right? <laughs> I gotta, had to I hit gotta, him with that. got to throw yeah. it in there. Um, yeah. You know, like it's, do we really need to, are those things that we should work on and figure out as well to our ability as we can and have, be able to talk about those? Absolutely. I think right. we should. I think that's part of, for, for me and my individual relationship with God, that is an important part of my relationship. It's, it's a way that I think he connects with me. Um, yes, I have this analytical um, brain that I want to figure things out. I want to research. I want to know what I think about these things. Right. And that Likewise. may not always be for everyone. Um, and that's so a beautiful thing that, that I think God has individual relationships with us. It's not just a blanket... Well, I guess y'all can come in. Um, it's a I I want you, my child, and he treats us that way, yeah. and we each have individual relationships that way. And so, while the the work of Christ on the cross and who God is unifies us and should be, I think the um, the the central issue that we agree on everything else um, and can be secondary and tertiary that we don't necessarily have to agree on, and that's okay. Um, now, that, that may not be obviously the case for everyone, and that's why there are dozens of wonderful denominations out there yeah. that are faithful people that we yeah. may not always agree with, and that's okay. Yeah. Well, well put. I want to thank you for your time. I want to thank you for stepping into a very contentious kind of topic and yeah. giving it a really faithful approach. So thank you, Matthias, Absolutely. and we're looking forward to seeing... Uh, everything that you do uh, to help our staff to and the rest of our congregation to know and love God. Absolutely. So, Thanks for having me. Thank you. <laughs>